Welcome to the You Can Tell the Children podcast, a place where sharing God's word with the next generation in your circle of influence can be simple, easy, and fun. We know that intentionally teaching children about God and the relevancy of His word will be a game changer in their homes, schools, and communities. This podcast is a ministry of Bible to School, the experts in engaging children with the Word of God. Together, we will make sure you can tell the children about the love of Jesus. Ready, set, let's go. Welcome back to the You Can Tell the Children podcast. This is episode 22, and I'm your host, Corey Pennypacker. We hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving and a great time with your family and friends. Here at Bible to School, we are so impressed by the growth that God is adding to our ministry. More and more people are stepping up to teach the children in their public schools about Jesus. With the end of the year coming fast, we just want to invite you to consider making this the month you reach out to us to learn more about how you can join them. We would love to answer all your questions about Bible to School. You can get in touch with us via our website, BibleToSchool.com. That's Bible, the number two, school.com. Our team is so excited to help equip you bring the gospel to kids in your community. Today's episode is very interesting. I sat down with Dr. Jennifer Rivera from Answers in Genesis. In addition to her work as a forensic science educator, speaker, and author, Dr. Jennifer Rivera now serves as education content administrator for Answers in Genesis, presenting daily in the Discovery Series and developing educational programs. Her experience in the field of forensic science includes employment in a crime scene unit, over a decade of teaching, journal publications, and numerous speaking events. Today, I will be asking the questions that are on all of our minds regarding the secular science theories being taught in our schools. Notes from today's episode can be found on our website at BibleToSchool.com. Let's dive right in with Jennifer. Well, welcome, Jennifer. We are so glad to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Corey. Well, my husband and I had the chance to actually visit the Creation Museum where you work in Kentucky recently. We got to meet you in person, which was really fun. It was such a pleasure. It's near the Noah's Ark Encounter. Is that right? They're, they're near each other. Yes. The Creation Museum is about 40 minutes north of the Ark Encounter. Okay. All right. That's the exhibit there. But if you've never gone to either of these, if you're listening, you should really take your family. It is a wonderful experience. Really makes you think about the Bible and history and answers and what does the Bible say about our history. Um, And you guys, Jennifer, you dive into that subject deeply at the Creation Museum. So I know we're all anxious to learn from you today. But before we do that, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, how many kids you have, how'd you get involved in the Creation Museum? Yes. So I've been married to my husband, Michael, for 26 years, and I have four daughters. Uh, One is 24, 21, 19, and 17. One of the four is married, so I have a fantastic son-in-law. Two of them have graduated college. Uh, One is currently in college, and my baby is a senior in high school this year, so we've been college shopping the last few weeks. (laughs) 
I bet you have. (laughs) So how did you get involved in the Creation Museum? You you have a background. Are you a scientist? You're a scientist, right? Yes. My background is actually in forensic science. I used to work in a crime scene unit where my specialty was dactyloscopy, which is the study of fingerprints, basically. My father was a forensic expert himself. He was a fingerprint expert. So at a very young age, he started to teach me to classify and identify fingerprint patterns. So it wasn't surprising. My very first professional job was working in the crime scene unit where I received most of my training, thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. But, you know, even though we thoroughly enjoy things and think that's the plan for our life, God has other plans. And so I got married and started to have children. And I was faced with that question, you know, do I keep working or do I you know, become a mom. And so I made the choice to become a mom. And that decision is different for everyone. But for us, it, it that was the best choice for us. So I did stay home for a few years and had the four daughters. God just opened this door one day at the private school where my daughters were attending. The principal literally just walked up to me and said, you know, I'm interested in you teaching next year, uh, you know, criminal justice and uh, some forensic science. And I was just like, wow, I never even thought about teaching. And so, wow to me uh, teaching for over 10 years and ended up becoming the science department chair at that school. During that time, we had been visiting the Creation Museum. At that time, the Ark Encounter wasn't open. And so we were visiting the Creation Museum with our family. And I was bringing my girls up here and for several years. And I said, wow, you know, I would just love to offer programming and be able to teach workshops right here at the Creation Museum because I thoroughly was supportive of the Answers in Genesis ministry. But I realized I didn't have enough education at the time. So I did go back to school, got my master's, my education specialist, and my doctorate. In the meantime, started speaking and publishing. And sure enough, just one day, I just felt like God literally said to me, it's time. There was no job on the website. I put together a, you know, my V-Day and, and some other you know, things I had published at the time. And my daughters and I literally prayed over it and mailed it. That's how I ended up being here. At the wow. You created your own job other than Creation Museum. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It took about two, a two-year process after that. But in the meantime, I got to get to know people here. They created a position for me. And uh, I have been here about four and a half years now. So Awesome. You know, some people say that what they're doing at that time, they feel God has prepared them for their whole life. And and that's truly how I feel, that every experience, everything I had done was leading me up to that point to be here, to work for him full time. Wow, that's great. Well, tell us about Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum. Yeah, so we, of course, stand on the biblical authority of God's Word. We're an apologetics ministry. And so here at the Creation Museum, our main exhibit is the Seven Seas of History, which is we like to walk our guests through the Genesis, of course, in creation, and then move through the major events that we see in Genesis 1 through 11, you know, leading up to the promise of Christ and the Savior. And so as they walk through that, they really get to understand why Genesis and origins is so important to understanding the gospel, because that's the key. You know, you can't disregard what Genesis says and say, well, that's not accurate. You know, when God said he created in 24 hour days, that's just not true. You know, believe in evolution and all these other theories out there that are in contrary to what God clearly tells us in Genesis chapter one. If you disregard that, then you might as well disregard the rest of the Bible, right? So that's why we stand on Genesis one, stand on that authority. And really, Every major thing in your life is spelled out in Genesis. You know, the first few chapters, we have the origins of marriage, where sin came from, you know, why we see death and suffering today, 
theologic evidence of a global flood. Why do we see all this? Well, it's all right there in the first few chapters of Genesis. So that's where we, you know, we stand on the authority of God's word. Oh, absolutely. And for our listeners out there, Jennifer, we have kids in our circle of influence. We want to know how to talk to them about the Bible, about creation, about our origins. Um, so today, we're, I mean, we're going to talk about this subject on how to talk about our kids and how to equip our kids on this subject. So I always say, especially to, to groups when I'm talking to them, kids want to know three things. They want to know where did I come from? What's my purpose? What happens after I die? And we're going to talk about where did I come from? How would you briefly, I mean, we always start at, of course, a Bible to school and our programming at public schools. We always start at the creation, you know, Genesis, where it all began. Always start there. So how would you briefly explain in layman's terms, please, <laughs> secular science theories and where they came from? What are, what are our kids hearing out there? Well, our kids are definitely, if they're in public school, being indoctrinated is the best word into theories of evolution. You know, evolution pushes, there's no need for a creator, believe in these random chance processes, you're just here, you know, because of what they equate natural selection and evolution to be the same thing, which is completely inaccurate. They're not the same thing, but they're definitely going to teach that in school and survival of the fittest mentality. And so they're going to try to, you know, convince the kids that there is no God and that we can explain everything without God. And they try to back it up with all science. But what's important to realize is there's two types of science. And sadly, a lot of kids don't realize this. And that's one of the things we do in our educational programs here is teach the kids the two types of science. And that is historical science. And there's observational science, right? Observational science is the science we do using our five senses. I can see it. I can hear it. I can taste it, right? I can write it down. I can observe it. That stuff we see in real time and we, it's verifiable, right? We can run that, make sure it's right. That is drastically different from something we call historical science. Historical science is things that are unobservable. So they're subject to that person's assumptions and interpretations. They're subject to that scientist's worldview. And so that's going to influence their interpretation of the evidence. So if we're looking, let's say fossils, fossil evidence, a secular scientist is going to look at that and say, oh, fossils are the result of you know, millions of years of slow processes and erosion and multiple, like sometimes local floods, they refer to it. That's just not the case at all, right? Because we can look at it through a biblical worldview and say, no, the Bible tells us exactly where the fossils came from. The Bible describes a catastrophic global event, right? In the book of Genesis, why do we find seashells all over the world on every single continent? Hmm, maybe because there was a global flood, right? The Bible, everything that we see so when we're talking about evolution versus creation, especially in the realm of historical science, we're both looking at the same evidence, but our interpretations are completely different because of where our worldview and our starting point is coming from. And so when they're in, kids are in public school, and it's sadly, even some churches who are compromised on evolutionary theories, right? These evolutionary processes are in place, but that's not Genesis chapter one clearly says, God tells us, I create everything according to its kind. And what we find in the study of DNA is those exact barriers are in place. Dogs are only going to have dogs. Cats are only going to have cats, right? Humans are only going to have more humans, okay? See that in place in our, in our DNA code probably confirms what God describes in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah, and species don't jump species. Uh, that's what I, I learned from when being in the creation. But but they but you do adapt. Like, you know, if it's, it's cold, the, the hair gets longer on a dog and things like that. What, I, what got me really thinking was this 
evidence versus interpretation. I heard a speaker at the Creation Museum speak on that. Can you share your thoughts on that? And how does that go into the creation theory, or the creation point of view? Yeah, we, we firmly believe that we don't need evidence to say that the Bible is true, right? Because God himself says his word is true. So we don't need evidence to prove to us that the Bible is true. God told us clearly that it is true. And if God says it is, it must be true, right? Because he cannot lie. The Bible also tells us that. But what's nice is, is when we do see things out there that we like to say confirms, right, what the Bible tells So there are many things out there in science and when we study the world and natural processes that confirm exactly what God described to us in his perfect word. So it's one of the key things that I, especially when I'm teaching the children here at the Creation Museum is we don't need evidence, right? God says it's true. He doesn't lie. And we can trust that, right? But here's some great things that we see, right? That can confirm what God's word says a hundred percent. And so that is why, especially when we're Looking at scripture, and especially in Genesis chapter one, there's many Christians, right? Sadly, I would say lots of Christians who will interpret what those verses say in contrary to what God clearly says. And I do believe that God's being very clear, right? He wants us to understand, I created this on this day and evening and morning were the first day. I don't know how much more clear he could be with us, right? Very clearly saying that this was a 24-hour day and not millions of years uh, as other people would try to interpret that. Right. And there have been some holes kind of punched in the um, secular science, the millions and billions of years. Tell us about that. I I know that uh, Mount St. Helens uh, eruption was one of them, and and there was an ice exhibit that I saw. Can you share, share with our listeners about that? Yeah, so Mount St. Helens, when erupted in 1980, provided an observational example, right, of what can happen from just one volcanic eruption. And it's very clear that during the global flood, there would have been multiple volcanic eruptions because the Bible describes a cataclysmic event. We find volcanic ash in a lot of the fossil layers, so we know that this was going on and that volcanic ash was in our atmosphere. Well, when we look at the Grand Canyon, all right, a secular scientist would say, well, This happened from slow erosion over millions of years by the Colorado River. Now, I was standing on the Grand Canyon last weekend, and I can tell you, I'm looking way, way down at this little tiny speck that's the Colorado River, and there is no way I would believe that this is the river that, you know, caused the formation of the Grand Canyon. You look at Mount St. Helens, which is observational. People were there to actually observe this. We saw a 150-foot canyon formed in a single day as a result of Mount St. Helens a bit event, a rapid process. Could the Grand Canyon have been formed rapidly from the global flood and from the glaciers, from the ice age that followed? Absolutely. It could have been formed in a very short time, right? Because we saw just this one canyon formed at Mount St. Helens. Those support that the Bible is true. We can trust what it says. We have a young earth. We don't have an old earth. And so because there's all this volcanic eruption going on during the global flood, we would have had a lot of ash in the atmosphere, which has been proven observationally to cool temperatures, right? And then you're talking a global flood at the time of Noah, we definitely would have seen cooler temperatures after that. And then we would have had this ice age following that, which there's also clear evidence of that we can see in our the different uh, fossils that we find and the large fossils that we find that would have been living during that time, which we'd expect to see if there was anything. So this is evidence, but a different interpretation, according to the Bible, 
then secular science. And, you know, like we said, kids in the, earlier, we said kids are bombarded with secular science theories. And, you know, most of the time they're taught as fact. So as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt or an uncle, Jennifer, how would you advise us to talk to kids that said that, well, my teacher said this, or my, or my science book said that? I mean, how do we respond with, and that's what I love about the Creation Museum. You, you respond with such respect for the other interpretations, but yet confidence in, in the Bible teaching. Yes. Yeah, so one of the big things with kids is, especially when they ask questions like this and say, okay, well, who wrote this book? Like when you're looking at this science book, who wrote this book? Okay, a man you know, or a woman wrote this book. A human wrote this book. Are they perfect? No, they're flawed. They're sinful, right? The Bible is that we are all sinners. So their interpretation is not going to be perfect as well if they're not standing on the biblical authority of God's word. And so the first thing to do is point out, was this book, you know, is this book in any way referencing the biblical creator God? And if it's a secular textbook, it is not. So then it's just man's interpretation of their own ideas. And then it's always important to say, okay, now let's go look at what God's word says, right? And that's why it's so important as parents and as teachers that we are constantly equipping ourselves to defend we can't expect kids to defend their faith if we aren't knowledgeable ourselves and ready to provide these answers. And there will be times when we don't know the answers, but that we know where to go to find that answer. You know, First Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. And that's the key because you can't blame someone who's not a believer for their views because they believe that because of their worldview and their starting point. And you have to and that respect them and then talk to them in such a way that they'll listen to your side of the story. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at Bible School, you and I have discussed that you know we teach children during their school day, which is really great. We have to be in our legal lane to be able to do that offsite and with parental permission and we don't use any any government money at all, but we get questions like, "Did God really make me? Did God really make the earth?" I mean, we're, we're in, you know we're introducing this new worldview or this new creation idea. There's a creator, and we, again, we want to be respectful for uh, to other interpretations. Yet we know that we ha- are granted this religious freedom. We we allowed to believe differently and share that. Let's pause right now and take a question from one of our Bible to School kids. Who is God? I've never heard of Him. In Romans 1.20, we read, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God has given us so much to learn about Him through His creation. Discoveries in science continue to unveil His creativity complexity, and provision. Take a few minutes to marvel at creation with a child, explaining how God creates and sustains everything, and in doing so, shows us who He is. So what would you say to a child that maybe has a friend? So maybe uh, somebody out there has a grandchild or a, a child that their friend believes in the secular interpretation, you know, an evolution or something. How would we coach them? How would we coach the child to respond to them? Yeah, that's that's always difficult is when you get asked those questions, right? How do we help them realize that they have worth and that they have value and that they were created by God and that they're an image bearer? And I, you know, one of the things I always love to point out to kids is that, you know, the Bible tells us that we were knit together in our mother's womb. And 
what's so cool about it is you can look at DNA and it has two sides of a double helix. And you can imagine, you know, the Lord taking a knitting needle, let's say, and just knitting us our DNA together inside our mother's womb before our mother even knew, right, that she was going to have a child. He knew us before even that point, the Bible tells us, that we have immeasurable worth to him. He loves us so much that he knows the very hairs on our head at every single time. And I think sometimes for kids, it's really hard to understand that because they can't see him, right? They can't physically see him. So you're asking them to believe in something that they, they can't see. And I, I just stress with them, it's the relationship part, right? That makes it authentic, right? The Bible's clearly not like you have to have salvation through Jesus Christ. And that opens that relationship where we then can talk to him and feel his presence when it's needed. And I think that's the most important thing to stress with kids is that, you know, God is real. His word is perfect. You know, he promises these things to his people and that we see clear, created, you know, created design all over. The, the Bible tells us that Romans one twenty that creation is evidence of the creator. Right. We can look in some place. If we need science to confirm it, it's there. Like I said, we can DNA, right? We can look in forensics. We look at hair and fur samples. Well, guess what? The cat hair looks completely different from a dog, from a primate, from a horse. We can see kinds just in individual samples. Everything confirms what the Bible tells us very clearly. So it's great with kids to not only stress all those things, but then to say, well, you know, this confirms the Bible. Look at this. Look. This confirms the Bible, right? We can see this. Look, this confirms the Bible. We find marine fossils all over the entire earth, right? Here's these simple things that you can show kids, taking it right back to God's word, right? It's already there and it points back to it 100%. I always tell kids there has never been a case where science has not confirmed the Bible 100%. Wow. Wow. That is a quite a statement. Wow. From, from a scientist. And I would say, say that my oldest child, when he was in high school, he had a teacher. So because we're all afraid, like, oh, my gosh, our kids are going to be bombarded with this other point of view. But honestly, we're teaching this um, from little up. We're teaching the Bible. And it, it's definitely a foundation. And it, we shouldn't be afraid of that if we're talking about it at home. You want to you process those things at home. And my oldest son had this high school teacher who was definitely totally opposite our, our worldview. Totally. Didn't, didn't believe in a creator, all that. But yet he challenged my son. And my son said that that was the best year learning year for him because he was able, it made him sharpen and clarify what he believed. And we would talk about it at home at, din you know, at dinner and he would get upset. Well, he says this and he said that. And we'd say, okay, well, but the Bible says this and this is why. And just like you said, bring in to just have a whole conversation about it. And so even if you're um, whatever circle of influence you have, if you're a small group leader or a Sunday school teacher or something, you know, don't shy away from those conversations. And I mean, use resources like Answers in Genesis and Creation because they're out there. And, and that's what we love about having you, you here with us today, Jennifer. We're so excited about that. I'm going to ask you one, one last thing. I mean, what advice would you give to our listeners about how to talk to their children about creation in this current culture? Yes. Yeah, so there's definitely, I mean, a, a battle of worldviews, as we like to say, between, you know, what God's word clearly says and anything else other that is contrary to God's scripture is man's ideas and interpretations. So it's important to make that distinction when we look at biblical creation and then anything else, right, is going to be some interpretation from imperfect man, right? Not 
God tells us in his perfect word. And so one thing we like to do here, especially at Angelus and Genesis, and this is interwoven all throughout our educational programs, is not only Genesis chapter one and, and looking at that and trusting it as God's authority of our historical record, but it's pointing to those seven seas of history. And our first seat of history is creation, right? So one thing that we have here at the Creation Museum is a complete walkthrough, you know, what the Garden of Eden may have looked like and how it was perfect, right? So the death and the disease and the suffering we see today was not God's perfect plan. And it wasn't God's decision, right, for to have sin come into this world. Man, right, made the choice to disobey God's perfect word, right? Satan challenged the authority of God by questioning what God said to Adam and Eve, and they made that choice to sin against the perfect God. So God created a perfect world, but we chose to destroy that. But the great thing is that God promises us, right, through Christ, which is our what would say our sixth sea of history, right? We have Christ cross and the consummation. Now, Christ is the fifth sea, Christ uh, crosses the sixth sea, and then consummation is the seventh sea. But we have that promise of Christ coming back. Once again, the world will be perfect. It'll be restored, right, as God Garden of Eden. And that's something we can look forward to when he returns. That is, it's a very challenging topic, but I, I really encourage parents to not only equip themselves with the answers, but to always take their children back to God's word. Well, what does he say here? We can trust it from the very first verse. This is how God describes each day of creation. Encourage your children to memorize that because the creation account and the order of creation is distinctly different from evolution, right? And it's important to understand that God's way makes perfect sense. Yes, it does. <laughs> so thank you so much, Jennifer, for sharing your, Dr. Jennifer Rivera, for uh, sharing your um, amazing wisdom with us today. And uh, I'm, I mean, I'm feeling a lot smarter now. I hope our listeners are too. I know you wrote a book. Can you tell us a little bit about your children's book that you have written? And also you had a high school textbook you've written too. Yeah, so there is a children's book. It's called The Work of Your Hand. It is about uh, fingerprints because that was my specialty. And there was no book out there to teach kids how to classify fingerprints at a young age like I did when my father started to teach me. So I wrote a children's book and it will teach children uh, what the types of fingerprints are, how do we compare those? And it does have a place for parents to put their fingerprints in the back because your fingerprints are developed inside the mother's womb at about 10 weeks and they will stay with you throughout your entire life. So I like kids to know they're wonderfully made. Cool. And what and what are the three fingerprints, may I ask? Yes, those are loops, arches, and whorls. And in humans, the loop is the most common type pattern. So most people have that. Uh, arches are the rarest. So if you have an arch, you should be excited. <laughs> and then I finished the, it's the very first uh, forensic science high school textbook from a biblical worldview. Uh, one does not exist. So I just uh, submitted the last chapter to the publisher. We're hoping it's out by next year. Very cool. Very cool. We will have that on our on our show notes for sure. Names of all those things. Any other way way we connect connect with the Creation Museum or or connect with you or get more resources? Can you help us out? Sure. So we have a, a wonderful website at answersandgenesis.org uh, where we have a searchable engine by topic. So if a parent really wanted to get more information on the global flood, you could just go on there and type it in and we give you free videos. It's going to give you articles. And we also have an entire kids website on our Answers in Genesis website. So at the top, you're going to see a tab that says kids. Click on that. There's games, there's printables, there's videos articles all for kids. So I highly recommend you to go there. Also want to encourage everybody to make sure that you check out our educational programs if you're ever visiting here. So if you go to the creationmuseum.org website, click on the education tab, uh, you'll then get to see all the different programs 
that we do offer here. And we're constantly offering new programs. We have summer programs. We have off-site programs. We're going to an authentic dino dig next summer. So we don't have uh, events limited to our attractions. We have off-site events as well. So I encourage you to definitely check those out. And then, of course, we on our Answers in Genesis website, we have a store where you can actually purchase all of our books, you know, our latest materials that are out. We have a fantastic Sunday school curriculum. We have a homeschool curriculum. So the best place to check out what we have to offer is there. And you can also follow Ken Ham has a public page. You can follow him directly on Facebook. I also have a public page at Dr. Jennifer Hall Rivera, and I'm always posting things that are going on in our educational programs or cool things that I find in nature. Those are probably the two best ways to follow us. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Jennifer. It was awesome. Do you mind ending us in prayer? Not at all. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk to Corey and her audience today. And I just pray that you continue to bless her ministry. She so clearly has a heart and passion for children. And we just pray for each child that she's reaching in these public schools that you just plant those seeds of truth, Lord, and just help them to be watered and to grow, Lord, and that they actually begin to develop relationships with you. And I just pray that you continue to bless Corey and her life and her family, Lord, and just uplift her entire staff and all of us who are teachers and parents out here in the field, Lord. We're, there's no question we're fighting a battle, Lord, but that battle is for you. And we know who's victorious in the end. So praise you for that. And we just give you the honor and glory in everything we do. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Corey. What a gift to know that there are believers actively working to help parents and kids find biblical answers to today's questions and theories. A big thank you to Dr. Jennifer Rivera and Answers in Genesis for the work they're doing. Do you have more questions? Connect with us on social media at Bible to School. We're on every platform. Thanks so much for leaving reviews. We love knowing how we're doing and that our content is serving you. You can leave a review after every episode. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there so you don't miss an episode. Next week, my co-host, Lee Nienheis, is talking to her friend about teaching and building a culture of value. You won't want to miss it. And remember, friends, you can tell the children about the love of Jesus.